You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 36, The Chainbreaker, featuring Rusty Havens. This episode of Find the Good News is sponsored by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. Check out our work at parkerbrandup.com. Thanks for choosing to tune in to another episode of Find the Good News. I really enjoyed this visit with Rusty Havens that you're about to listen to. My heart quaked several times during this talk. The man's willingness to love really broke into me, and perhaps he'll have the same effect on you. Next week, it's Tea Time with Julio Carroll, the owner of Tea at Walden. It was a lovely talk, and it's so wonderful knowing that there are hearts like Julia's out there in our community working to share peace and kindness. That puts us one week closer to the mixtape episode with Paul Gonsolin, Rosie Pryor, and Elizabeth McDaniel. The mixtape episode is titled The Pizzeria, and I can't wait for you to find out why. It was a fun talk with three good newsies I really love, and it was great to have them back. My next visits are right around the corner, and I can't wait to talk to these folks. Those episodes will feature local potter and artist Rex Alexander, the founder of Fresh Fuel, Megan Abraham, and Susan Rain of Families Helping Families. Those visits will be happening really soon, so if you have questions you'd like me to ask, then hit the hotline or send me an email. You can find both of those things on the site at findthegood.news. Have you been enjoying the good news that I've been sharing? You can help me keep this mission alive by subscribing to Find the Good News on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, SoundCloud, or really any app you're using to listen. The show is free, so those subscriptions really help out a lot. Another thing that you can do that really helps is to just leave a comment on an episode through the platform you prefer, and Facebook reviews really help too. Basically, just participate. You didn't put your ears on to listen to me make announcements. So put on your headphones, relax, sync up, shut the latch, and press play on some good news. For a long time, I thought of sex trafficking as something that happened somewhere else, or maybe as a plot device for action films. If I'm being honest, I feel pretty ignorant even admitting that. Like many of the things that plague our world, it was an out of sight, out of mind problem. It wasn't happening in my life, and there was no information stream putting it in my view to make me aware. That's where Rusty Havens comes into the picture, and it's the reason I asked him to visit me on Find the Good News. Rusty is the founder of the Southwest Louisiana Abolitionists, a group of volunteers with the mission of creating more awareness on human trafficking in our region, as well as providing resources, services, and compassion to victims. That's the part that seems to be the hardest in this world today, the compassion. But it isn't for Rusty and the volunteers that work with him. Sitting across from Rusty, looking in his eyes as he spoke, I could see that he looks on the children of creation with eyes of love and mercy. He allows the suffering of others to enter his heart, to wound him with their wounds, turning that energy into loving service. When I get to visit with someone like Rusty Havens, it's hard to leave without a change taking place. I think it's because the love he's sharing, the compassion and care that he's promoting is made of spirit. It breaks chains, enters through locked doors, seeps through the pores and prison walls. It enters where there is no space. Listen to Rusty Havens in this visit and you'll be made aware of things that pierce through the comfy thin cushion that keeps the world's suffering at bay just outside the safe spaces we've built for ourselves. There are terrible things out there, tragedies and horrors, even if they are not our own. But they are happening to our brethren, 
they're happening right here at home. Does another's pain and despair absolve us of right speech or right action? Release us from the duty of engagement simply because we were the lucky ones? I don't know the answer to those questions, but I've believed for a long time that on some level we should each be asking some version of it. When Rusty Haven sat down at my table, I met a man who was asking that question. When he asked it, his heart quivered, and it led him to do something good. Wake up this morning, you're dreaming up a story I can hear the way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep path to your deliverance and a holy wall of light pouring through your window old news bad news fake news sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all with find the good news i aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work i visit with artists educators civic and spiritual leaders musicians business owners students volunteers and everyday citizens who are using their creativity resources and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world in each episode i dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm going to find the good. And I love you just. Appreciate you coming over. Oh, I'm glad to be here. You a busy guy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of busy guys, uh, I think what you're doing, at least my meager understanding of it, is something that's really needed and in the country and in the world, but then also particularly in southwest Louisiana. I think people are surprised to learn some of the things that you're sharing. And so let's just jump right in. So Southwest Louisiana abolitionists, whenever I first read that, I think the word abolitionist, when we think of it, it, it's an old word. We think, oh, that's ancient history. Yeah. You hear abolitionist, you think civil war, you think, you know, a certain period in American history. We don't think about that as a 2019 problem. No. So... Take me into this, please, because I think this is something where really anybody listening to the show needs to get educated, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's just not a lot of awareness. I mean, maybe more awareness than there was five years ago. But what about today? Like, what are, what are where does this come from? Where does this start for you? How do you uh, get into this? How I got into it was I found out about it um, at a college conference really? in Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. And they said that it happened in Atlanta, and it probably happened in um, our city, too. Did that surprise you? It did, because that was back in 2010, yeah. 2011, and um, no one was talking about that here. No yeah. one. I mean, it wasn't on the news. It wasn't. And, um, 
it wasn't it just wasn't talked about so for the listener out there so they understand what we're talking about we're talking about human trafficking we're talking about human trafficking yes yeah and so that's happening right here in southwest louisiana yeah that's happening right here in southwest louisiana do you see from from your perspective so you go to this conference and that wasn't really in your radar right that wasn't what you didn't go to the conference for that this information just came to you at this conference right? no this conference was um it was about it was a it was a Christian conference, and, it was a, and they had this huge room, and at that time, they had about six or seven causes, and one of the causes is was human trafficking. Yeah. And the conference really put um, emphasis on the fact that worship and justice are two sides of the same coin. If we're, if we're, if we're believers, we're supposed to care about these issues in the world. Yeah, social issues, yeah. justice issues, right. Now, that's interesting. So that's another topic that I am highly interested in, and uh, it's always been sort of a sore spot for me, is that, and I'll just put this out here right at the beginning. So I kind of um, do something that maybe isn't super popular with a lot of Christians, and that is I practice Buddhism as well as Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I've done that for 20 years. And um, it took me a long time to finally settle into being okay talking about that because I used to, it used to come in hot when I'd say that. One of the things that attracted me to Buddhism in the earlier days, especially in my 20s, was that it had a, the term that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh coined was engaged Buddhism. And what he considered that is social Buddhism, Buddhism that is uh, looking at the world as it is and addressing the problems that the world has and not taking a backseat role. And so I, I liked that. That appealed to me as a younger person, especially I said, oh, this isn't just some something to believe. This isn't just something that I get to go do in my own life and in my, my young person's mind. This is something that actually goes out into the world, not with a message, but with an action. Yeah. And so um, that was something for me that I felt was sorely missing in the Christian silo of my, you know, worldview and beliefs. And so now what I'm seeing is that there is, especially in the last five to 10 years, I'm starting to see that emerge in Christianity again. Mm -hmm. Right. And so yeah. when I see you, I go, oh, this excites me. Right. Because I'm going, this is exactly what I was looking for you know, in the religion of my ancestors, you know, yeah, <laughs> and I didn't see it as a younger person. And so now that I, I'm 45, I'll be 45 this year. It's, it's just exciting to see Christians take that role and really take the action part seriously, like doing the works. It really is. Um, and I've seen it myself, too, um, especially in churches. Um, they're becoming more open to it, mother, to the fact that um, we know we're supposed to take care of each other. We're supposed to go after these social ills of society. Yeah, and um, we can do well, we can do something. We can take action, and we can help um, a lot of people who really need help. Yeah, yeah, like actual help, not just words and not just prayers, but to to actually take prayerful action. And um, you know, I. I deal with stories and I deal with stats and one of my favorite stats is the fact that um, well there's supposed to be 40.3 million people in the world um, in this in human trafficking in modern day slavery it's insane which is insane it's unreal it's insane but at the same time there are 2 billion people on this planet who claim the Christian faith those two numbers are so Whoa, far away wow. from each other we could end this within weeks if yeah. we had everyone educated everyone prepared yeah and so you're taking that upon yourself and you're in your capacity to whatever degree you can here locally to do that. You've taken that seriously. You go to that conference and you saw 
that that out of all the different things i mean granted they may have all touched your life but on that particular day at that conference that that was the message that like really got into you you know it was a college conference it was, i was a nappy-headed college student who <laughs> really didn't know what he was doing um, a lot of times i still don't but i like i said earlier no one no one was talking about it here and I was like, that needs to change. I don't have all the answers. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it, at that time, I didn't know exactly what it would take to end this. But I knew that people needed to know about it. Yeah. And we had to start talking about it. You know, it's interesting. I, I drew some parallels to some of the information you've been putting out there and then your efforts to another guest I had on the show. She runs a, um, I'd call it a teenage or youth awareness program called Truth, Facts, and Lies. You may be familiar with that program, but uh you know, one of the issues that she talks about is sex trafficking, and she's trying to make the, the kids, teenagers aware of the signs and things like that. And when I was out filming that particular event, uh, they were given some information one day, and I was I was just kind of zoned in on it. And one of the things was all the, the key elements that need to be in place in your community or city for human trafficking to likely be possible. And more than likely probable. And one of, well, many of the things I, as she went down the list, I said, these are all things that we have right here in our community. Yeah. You know, you have a working port, airports, casinos. I mean, you name it, you know, an, an interstate corridor, you know, a major artery. There, and there was just a lot of things like that. The list was longer than that, but it was just sort of putting light bulbs in my head, you know, sort of flipping switches. I was like, man, we, we are, if it isn't already happening, it will be. And I didn't really realize I was unaware. Yeah, and one of the main um, reasons also is the fact that um, it's going back to awareness. It's people aren't talking about. People aren't um, the right people aren't going after it. You know, if you allow any crime to, if you don't go after any crime, of course it's going to flourish. Yeah. And that's what happened with human trafficking in this area. Yeah. Well, do you think, why do you think we're not talking about it? I mean, I'm really curious. I mean, is it because it's taboo? Because it, we don't want to believe it? What, what, are the, what are the reasons it's just not a hot button item? Why is it not in the forefront? Well, like you, like you said, things have changed. But um, one of the reasons that it has, it's not being talked about is people don't want to, you know, it's a hard subject. It, it really is. Um, and it's scary to think about. Um and unfortunately, we a lot of people still have this mindset to where, you know, if you ignore it, then if you stick our heads in the sand, then and if we don't see it, then it doesn't happen. Um, and just, life just doesn't happen that way. Life doesn't work that way. Um, and it's hard. Um, we don't want to. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's hard to think about. It's painful. Yeah. But um, not talking about it, not doing anything, that doesn't save a single person out of it. Right. It seems to me that it's uh, um, the the subject of human trafficking, and I could be wrong, but I mean, and, and again, all I have is the information that I've seen, and, and it might not really be as as deep as what you've gotten into, but it seems like it's a, um, and, I, and I hate to use this word, but it's it's a luxury, you know, and it's and it's it's for the wealthy. It's something that people with wealth would want. People with wealth can obtain. And, and, and the way that it has to happen takes wealth and it takes money. And there's a lot of money in that, as if you want to call it an industry. Uh, is that something that you would say aligns with what you've seen? Um, it does take that. But it also, I mean, human trafficking can happen to anyone. And we've seen people um, sold for a little, little less $30. Really? Know? Yeah. 
Is that something you've seen here in our area? Or is this just experiences that you just in your research? No, or? that's something we've seen here. Really? Yeah. Wow. And so how does that work with um, the name of your organization? And, and help me tell, tell people at home what the name of your organization is. I thought it was the Southwest Louisiana Abolitionist. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. How many people are involved in this? We have about 15 volunteers. Okay. And so what's, what's, how does this work? Like, what are the marching orders here? So what are you doing with this? I mean, I know you're creating awareness, but what, what, what triggers this organization to act? Like what's next? Is it, do you receive tips? Is there a hotline? Is there some way for people to go, Hey, I, I suspect that someone's involved in this or you're seeing the signs? I mean, what are y'all doing in that regard? We're putting out the signs. We're, we have information. We have materials with the signs. We have them. We have materials with a national human trafficking hotline Okay. Um, that people can call. Um, it's not connected to us and we don't run I got it. you. Right. But it's a hotline that's um, run by a great organization and it's available 24 hours a day and they're real connected with people like the FBI, CIA, ah, okay. and things like that. So um, some other things that we do is we do advocacy Okay. Which means we go to our, we make sure that we have good laws to protect our people. Okay. Um, um, that better punish the bad guys and um, offer better services to yeah. the survivors. So if somebody gets that hotline, I mean, what what do they do? They just call it, and then what's next? I mean, what happens from there? I'm just very curious about the flow of this whole thing, so they understand. Someone listening, can somebody call that hotline? If they suspect that they there's someone being trafficked, or they have information, or is it for the victims? I mean, what's the, or is it just an no, all, all purpose hotline? It's all purpose hotline. Um, even if you just barely, if, even if you just barely think it might be going on, or if you just have questions, you can call it hotline, um, and they'll they'll answer your questions. Okay, all right. So I'm going to dive back. I mean, part of this show that I which has really been the part of it that's been really beautiful is that we really get to find out about the person behind the thing. You know, we, we can all learn about what you do with this organization. I'm assuming you're the founder. Yes. So this organization that you founded, but I guess where this begins for you and it's obviously faith related. I mean, you take your religion very seriously. You take the call very seriously. So where does that start for you in your life? I mean, how far back does that go? Were you always uh, a Christian? Yeah, I was um, I was raised in church. Um, I was a Christian from a very young age, eight or nine. Yeah. Okay. Does that come from your parents? Yeah, it, it came from my parents. Okay. So they just passed it on to you. That's really awesome. Some some people leave their faith, you know, the faith of their childhood, and move into other other avenues or other uh, traditions. But uh, when you actually see somebody where their parents planted it in them, and then it actually blossoms into an action like you're doing, I think that's a pretty beautiful thing. So you you stay in the Christian church. Was that around here? You're from Southwest Louisiana? Yeah, I'm from Southwest Louisiana. Um, I grew up in two small towns of Singer and Fields. Oh, um, yeah. I know where they're at. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so an incredibly small town. Um, Fields doesn't even have a caution light, so there you go. Yeah. Um, well, so you moved to Southwest Louisiana when? I mean, to Lake Charles Sulphur area. Um, I've been living in Sulphur, uh, uh, Lake Charles, for about six years now. Okay. And did you, so, so your parents, what church did y'all go to? Uh, we went to a, a couple of um, small Hicktown churches. Hicktown. Small, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, um, I think our attendance was like around in the 40s. Okay. So. Yeah. 
Well, there's churches around here that have that many, you know, members. I mean, it does seem like there are a lot more than I remember when I was a kid. It seems like there's a lot more community type churches like that that are 20, 30, 50, you know, in number. Uh, I mean, even Water's Edge, that's where you go, right? Yeah. I mean, when it started out, it was probably a lot like that, you know, a small community church. Well, so tell me about that. So how does Water's Edge play into this uh, group that you've created? Is it? Does it support it? Does it uh, get behind your actions? You know, one of the reasons I started going to Water's Edge is because I knew the, the um, most of the people who started it. Yeah, I grew up with them. Um, they were all from the Quincy area, and okay. so that's all. You know, that's neighboring to Singer and Fields. Sure. And so I knew about it, and um, yeah, we I started going there about six months after they started. Yeah. And yeah, they've been. They believe. I mean, they believe like I believe. You know, um, you're supposed to hurt. You're supposed to help hurting people. Um, and they've been really supportive. Um, Tony, the pastor there, um, I love him. He's been on your podcast. Um, yeah, he's 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 definitely behind it. Um, we do events there all the time, actually. Um, and we. we they they've they've helped me in any way I wanted them, so it's been pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Do many of the uh, does many of the congregation members do they uh, do they get involved with your organization? Yeah, they get involved. Um, we have, like I said, we have events there, so we have we'll have, we'll do a family festival or something like that, and they'll come and they'll volunteer their time. Um, whenever we have financial needs, they'll come and they'll give. And it's just a really cool thing. Um, yeah. Just to see people who care, and I mean that's what we that's what we have there. We have people who care, really genuine care, and who you know who take action. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think at a friend of mine and I went to lunch many months ago, and we were walking out to our vehicles, and I had this license plate on the front of my truck that one of my boys bought for me, and it says um, something really simple. It says "Love God." Period love others period and my friend as we were walking to the vehicle he 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 paused and he looked at it and he said you get more complicated than that and you got problems and I, i love that because what he said was very simple and what he was reading was very simple and i find that um that that's been the truth for me when it gets more complex than taking care of each other then we kind of can lose something we, we lose something that's at the heart of, to me, the heart of the gospel. And I've heard arguments of both sides that say, well, you know, Jesus wasn't teaching social action. And, I, and we get caught up in the, the Ten Commandments. And, and it's another digression, if I may. Someone I wrote the other day said, you know, we, we really get upset when they don't put the Ten Commandments in schools. But nobody ever complains when we don't put the Beatitudes, you know. No, because that messes in our data patch. That's right. You know? Yeah. We don't. We may not kill. We may not um, steal. But <laughs> do we love our neighbor? Do we really love our neighbor? And I mean, that's one of the, one of my foundations is the fact that you know I believe in my heart that everyone was creating in the image of God, and that gives everyone value. And so that's one of the main reasons I fight fight against this is because it takes away the value. No, oh, yeah. And I believe that we are priceless, and you know, there's you can't put a price tag on a person. That's true. I agree. I mean, it's a horror. I mean, it really is. It's a true human tragedy and a horror. I I also believe the same thing that every human life is the life. Life is precious, but human life is particularly precious. It's a particular. We are a particular particular creature. You know, we have. 
abilities and capacities that are far beyond the other creatures on this planet. Yeah. You know, and that the way we take care of us is each other is really indicative of um, what we've allowed ourselves to become, mm-hmm. you know, and not what we're supposed to be. And so, yeah, when you see when what you're saying is rings so true for me, we have to become the precious thing that we that we say we are. Yeah. You know, if we were to value with to value ourselves, but that has to, again, in the words of Christ, how I value myself, I should value the other. Yeah. You know, and when when we live in a world where things like human trafficking and sex slavery and all these other tragedies that are just, you know, manifold are out there. Yeah, it's a sad thing because we, we call ourselves Christians, but then we don't do the thing. We don't actually do the very thing that we're commanded to do, which is to love the other as we love ourselves. And that's a hard commandment. For some people, I mean, it's not hard for all of us. I mean, that can go pretty far. You know, I I sometimes think about that when I. It's funny when I think about it the most is when I'm in my closet and I'm getting dressed and I go, I have this little section of my closet that I call my winter section. Right. Mm-hmm. And this may sound silly, but for me, it's a it's a, a, a meditation. Honestly, I look over there and I go, I probably got 30 winter shirts three or four jackets and for some reason that little section there stings me because i think i have two coats and i haven't given the other one to my brother you know and i think about people that are sleeping on the ground with their children at at the border honestly i think Mm -hmm. about that and i go you know, there's people sleeping under bridges. They're, they're, they're at the mercy of somebody else's compassion. And they have children just like me. You know, but I was the lucky one. I was born here. Yeah. It just It's just lucky. No, you know, it's just lucky. It it's just random luck. And, you know, and I, I'm not, but I'm not getting in my car driving down to the border. And so those things do weigh on me. You know, I mean, how can I use my good fortune to help others, you know? And there's that sort of struggle, I guess, where do you maintain what your family and the people you know, or do you maintain the, the veneer of that, that, well, this is our standard of living. So I need to maintain that before I go help my brother who's down in the mud. That's a struggle because we all do it to some yeah, degree. We do. It's tough because the call of the call that Christ is making is what I find it to be more extreme than that. If you really dig into it, it's really extreme. It it breaks through like a lot of our conceptions. I think, I don't know. What do you think about all that? (laughs) I just dumped a lot out there. I mean, but it, but it, it, I feel like it dives right into the heart of what you're talking about. It does. Um, I guess on the weight of it all, Look, I'll go see any Marvel movie. I love Marvel. I love superhero movies. I'll yeah, go see me any too. Marvel. I went and saw Cap- Captain Marvel. But the world just wasn't created that way. And we don't have to have the world on our backs. Um, You know, one person or one group of people can save the world. I believe that we all have a, a part to play. A portion. A portion to play. Um, yeah. Carry out. And I believe that, you know, the heaviness of it all would be a lot lighter if we all did a portion. Yeah, no, you're right. I think that's actually the secret. I think, 
I might be wrong. I'm just going off of what I believe and what I feel. And I have no way to validate this, especially for someone that would, you know, uh, anybody that would maybe have a scripture battle over it, you know. Mm -hmm. But for me, I felt the same way. I said, I think that might be the real secret message of Christ. And we hear it when we hear about the body, you know, all the parts, the pain, the the knees pain doesn't belong to the hand but the hand rushes to defend it right. right okay so it's that that idea that if we all had our if we all took a little bit of the portion it would be better if we all love if we all did for the other then the other would do back i was in a um an rcia class several years ago and this subject came up and i was kind of writing in my notebook and i was like there there is a there is an order to this that does work. There is a harmony that could work, you know, and I kind of brought it up in that class. I said, well, if we love the other and then the other, and I treated the other the way I wanted to be treated and I gave to the other and I didn't even worry about myself. I just gave to the other mm-hmm. and then the other followed suit and then gave. Yeah. Sooner or later in that cycle of giving, someone's going to give to me. Yeah. And we become this organism that I feel like I see described in the the gospel, right? Yeah. That didn't go over so well because then I got into it came up that well that's just uh it sounds like communism, it sounds like socialism and all these things came out and I thought it's very interesting how we as Christians will rally against this idea of taking care of each other and politicize it. You know, and weaponize it almost and say, well, that, yeah, you can only do that so far. You know, that doesn't really work. And I'm going, so we're saying it, we're reading it. It's in the gospel. The, the blueprint's there. And even to a degree, you see the disciples do that very thing, you know, early on. But at the same time, when it comes down to digging into our own pockets and taking a little from ourselves and breaking down some of the structure that we've become accustomed to, we're willing to throw that aside and say, well, that's for Sunday. That's for Sunday or I don't know. <laughs> we give ourselves too we give ourselves too much credit. We're like, no, you know, I, I did this. I built my empire, you know. I. I Yes. You know, God's cool. Yeah, maybe he helped me, but I did this. Right. And then when in the gospels where he calls us to give give it away, you know, to die. Um we get we get offended by that. Well, like, well, no, this is mine. I, I I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, you know. Yeah. Um, and the fact is, even the even um scripture says this, you know, you know everything that we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. And so, I mean, there's just a conflict in what some people believe and the scripture that they claim to believe. Yeah, I know. I find it hard. I think I find the. I find the teachings of Jesus to be very radical and very hard. I really do. Not hard that I don't like them, but hard to really and truly practice. Yeah. You know, I mean, they really are. And they, because they call us to do something that we have are not accustomed to doing, you know, and that is to give things away and give ourselves away and to join in. I mean, I, I use the word organism because sometimes I think it, it reminds us you know that it's a little more complex but to join the body right that 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 is a beautiful concept uh, but i look around at the world i look around and i hear these terrible stories of sex trafficking and i go 
the body's broken, right? But that's why people like you hear the call and rise up, I think, because it's almost like um, healthy blood cells that go attack, you know, an ailment in the body. You know, it's the immune system defending something that's awry in the organism. That's the way I've come to believe this. I really do feel that people rise up just Christ really rises them up. He rises up in you to go attack these things and to bring awareness to them and to put the balm on them and to begin to heal them. That's how it happens. It just doesn't happen in the time frame that we can we can comprehend, I think. It just takes so long. And I'm happy if you're like me, then you've got a long wish list of things you need to do around your house, things you just can't get to. It's not that I don't want to do them, but between my responsibilities at work, producing this show, and squeezing in some valuable mental downtime, I can't seem to get around to fixing the small stuff, and the big stuff is just waiting in line. To be honest, it kind of stresses me out. Maybe you're stressing out too. Well, stress no more because I've got good news. My friend Ben Von Duke has started a handyman service and he takes the mystery out of getting these things done. Ben Von Duke is not just some guy that calls himself handy. He knows what he's doing and he knows a whole lot. Not only is he an experienced and professional carpenter, but he's kind of a duke of all trades. What I love is that he's created an a la carte price list of services so you don't have to worry about getting in your pockets too deep before you're ready. He'll fix your running toilet, install appliances, replace fixtures, install ceiling fans, repair sheetrock and concrete, and a whole lot more than that. Look, I'm not too proud to say this, but sometimes it takes me three times as long to fix something because I've got to get online and search videos just to figure out what tools I need. Then I have to go buy the tools that I don't have and then kind of sort of come home and do the job. I don't have to do that anymore because Ben Von Duke will do it and do it better. On top of all that, he's just a good person, someone you can trust. He's honest, he's kind, and those are things that I value highly, and I bet you do too. You can get a hold of Ben Von Duke, the Duke of all trades, the good old-fashioned way, by using the phone. Call or text Ben at 337-540-1355. That's 337-540-1355. He'll send you his service and price list, and trust me, his prices are more than fair. And do me a favor. When you do message Ben at 337-540-1355, tell him you heard about the Duke of all trades on Find the Good News. I believe 100% this is possible. I believe that I will see in the end of human trafficking in my lifetime. Do you? Yes, absolutely. Um, there are organizations, um, global organizations all around the world who are doing tremendous work. And um, that's one of the things that that college conference pointed me to with these organizations. And they are transforming um, some of the worst cities around the world. I think um, of one city, um, Cebu, Philippines. Okay. It used to be one of the worst cities for child sex trafficking. Really? Within four years, one of the organizations, and I actually volunteer with this organization, um, IJM, they've they've dropped the availability of children for sex trafficking down by 79%. Wow. That's a big number. That's a big number. 
Yeah. And they're doing that in other cities around the world. And, you know, the, the availability of children in another city went from, like, anywhere from 15 to 30 down to 0.001%. Yeah. And so this ending this is is possible and it is doable um I, I it's it's not a lost cause um and I, I like i said i believe that we will end human trafficking i believe you know um just just to change here just to change locally in the past what six seven years yeah has been tremendous yeah no i think the i think awareness is is first i mean we talk about this a lot in my family we talk about it a lot on this show is that you know being aware of something is typically the first step right i mean now awareness doesn't necessarily change it you have to take the next action but being aware of something definitely is first you yeah know, you, you can't to. treat it unless you know what's wrong exactly yeah no i mean i think you're right i think it's doable and i think we have to um care you know that seems like such a simple word but i think you just have to care you know that's that's something that i talked about with a guest his episode hasn't aired yet but we were talking about what makes the big difference and a lot of it is just just that simple thing of of caring but the other thing that we talked about that that the world is sort of um a dangerous place in this regard because it kind of makes you not care it can make you not care it can keep you wrapped up in your own identity and suffering the i you kept saying i we talked about that a lot that you can get wrapped up in your own problems the microcosm of what's going on in your home in your job in your community just within your own blast zone you know of maybe 300 people 200 people 50 people and you get so wrapped up in survival that you can't care about anybody else. All you can care about are the ones that are just right there next to you. So extending that reach of care into a broader circle becomes somebody else's job. It's not your job. And and it's not just sex trafficking. It's uh, consumption. It's, you know, the planet. It's, it's, hunger i mean you know the list goes on and on yeah so you so the, so when you're in survival mode it's like well i know these problems exist but what can i do and that's the apathy that is dangerous that's the apathy. i mean i'm going to use the word the deceiver that's the apathy that the deceiver and the trickster you know can put in your mind that you can't do anything i can't take an action i'm too busy i have too much going on i have my own problems let somebody else worry about it do you see that in the world yeah, I do see that people don't, and that's um, one of the things my organization tries to address is we try to show, we try to show people easy ways they can get involved. If if they work all the time, great, um, give money. Mm. You know, um, if they don't, if they don't have much money, great, give give you time. Um, talk to people you know um, around around you. Um, you know, everyone can do something. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things about my story is the fact that. It shows that. It shows that you don't need. There are no qualifications. It's just like you said earlier, just to care. All yeah. you have to do is care. Um, and I think a story that that kind of shows that is recently. Well, nine months ago, we we had a girl um in prison who started writing us letters, and she's like, "Hey, I found out about your organization. Uh-huh. Um, I'm I." 
I um I recently heard her presentation in jail um about human trafficking. She's like, I realized this is what happened to me. I was um wow trafficked, and she's like, I don't know when I'm going to get out. It could be in a couple of months. It could be in a couple of years. But I want to help your organization. Is there anything I can do? And so we started writing her back, and we started um we actually got on her visitor visitation um sign up sheet. Yeah, and we started visiting her once a week. We found out that she was in um, jail for drugs that her trafficker made her take. Interesting. And she was in jail for a simple robbery that her trafficker made her do. Um, and we just started visiting her once a week. We started giving her hope, you know, sharing with her, you know, the possibilities of a better life. You're and right. What could happen when she gets out. And once we found out about why she was in there... Um, we started working on it. I'm like, no, you shouldn't even be in here. I'm like, we're going to get you out. And we did. Within three months, we had her out. We had her out of prison, and we brought her to a restoration home. Okay. But even if we didn't do that, um, even if she still stayed in prison, the difference between our first visit and our last visit with her was night and day. We were, um, I don't have a psychology background. I don't have a counseling background. I just fed love into her. I just fed, um, fed purpose into her. You know, I just fed worthiness into her. And it, it was, again, the difference between the first visit and the last visit was just so much. And on the way, we took her, ended up taking her to um, a restoration home in northern Louisiana. And on the way up there, it was myself and there was another lady with my organization who has never met her before that state. Um, she, the survivor looks at me and she's like, you've only known me for three months. She looks at the lady, she's like, you don't know me at all. She's like, this is the first time that people have actually done something for me and not wanted to abuse me in return. She's like, this is God's love. Mm. This has to be God's love. Mm. And anybody, anybody could have do, could do what we did. Anybody. Yeah. You know, the lady who went with she was she was a teacher. Anybody could do. That. You just have to care, and you just have to care and give people hope. Yeah. God. Okay, that's that's at the heart of it all. You know, I mean, you're talking about, and this is this is exactly getting into that territory where I fall in love with Christianity because that's exactly the symbol that I see when I look at Christ on the cross. You know, you're talking about people who have not been seen. They've not been heard. They've not been loved. They've been abused. The system has absorbed them. They've been tossed aside. They're just, and and their worth, their value Everything that makes a human being a human being, just what we talked about at the beginning, the specialness of our creature. And that's what Christ on the cross is, is is hope, right? I mean, goes to the depths of sorrow in all the dark places and all the cracks. You know, somebody said uh, it's it's related to the divine mercy that it's uh, blood and water because water and blood flow to the low places. What I'm hearing you say is that, you know, you see this person, you just flowed to the low places, you flowed into the cracks, you know, and that's how that's how Christ lives in the world, man. I truly believe that it's in doing those things. I mean, going to 
this woman and just seeing her and showing her that she's seen. You know, like we said earlier, there's still way too many people who don't know about this topic and realize that it happens here. So whenever it's someone they know, when it's their family member, um, for whatever reason, they may not believe them. So when we get in touch with the virus, we may be the first people who actually believe them. Why do you think that is, man? Why do you think people don't believe people? What is that? Where does that come from? And what is that? Why is our reaction like... Oh, yeah, right. Okay, you're a victim of sex trafficking. I mean, really, that's what some people do do that. So why? What is that reaction? Um, It may be because we have a good relationship with the accused, you know, with the person who actually did it, whether it's sex trafficking, rape, whatever. Uh, you know, they may be a, I don't know, we have this. We have this terrible false image of the bad guys to where they all have to, I don't know, just be dressed up in trench coats and, you know, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, no, you know, the archetype, not, yeah. They're not. And that's the one thing with human trafficking that we try to point out. Like, look, anybody could be a trafficker. Anybody could be a um, person who buys people. And so we try to break down that um, false image. Um, another, I, I guess another reason goes back to the fact that we don't want to face the ugly truth, you know? It does happen, and it could happen to people that we know. Yeah. And we don't want to, I don't know, we don't want to face that. No, I think you're right. I think it's both. You you're, you nailed it. I mean, I think that's what it is. One, it's, uh, we do live in a world where the good guys look like bad guys and the bad guys look like good guys. And then we're, the information that we receive from every direction, There's it could look valid. I mean, yeah. I try to be open to information and look at it, you know, objectively for the most part. I don't I don't like sensational stuff. I like plain good information. But we live in a world where there's so many communicate communication tools and there's so many master communicators out there that you really could be convinced of just about anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's hard to to know with your own eyes cuz you can't travel to these places and locations and and be in every situation. Used to we depended on news and information to do that for us. We trusted journalists and but now mm -hmm. I mean it's just again to say the world manifold doesn't even cut it. I mean, there's so much. Yeah. You know that it kind of does create confusion and apathy. People don't know what to believe, they don't know what's true. And I'm not trying to sound like a, a proponent of the fake news cat tagline, which I, I don't like the way that's used, but I do think there is a lot of misinformation out in the world. You know, there's a lot of things going saying, look over here, don't look over here. You know, um, that's or, or this is what I guess I see more than anything is, man, sex trafficking, that's bad, that's terrible. Ooh, what time does, when's my new season of whatever start? You know, oh, did you see the new show? Or, yeah. you know, we don't know how to we don't know how to stay on the thing. Like you do. You've done it. You you saw it, you heard the call, you took the action, you went down the trail, and once you got the scent, you're on it. And it changed you. And you're you're now going and helping these people, but that doesn't happen with everybody. I would love to know what it really takes to trigger everybody into some kind of small action, even just to care. I think that would be beautiful. You know, I've always wished that there was just a magic way to do that where you could just go give somebody literally a hug and hold them and let them just cry it out. You know, whatever whatever you're holding inside yourself, just cry it out. It doesn't matter what it is and, and just hold them 
and then all of a sudden something awakens, you know? Yeah. That would be such a, a lovely world if we could just do that, but it's just so much more work than that. It is. And there's just so many layers uh, to dig through to get to some of that center. I think it's uh, potentially because we're afraid of that, afraid to seem uh, sensitive. We are, you know, we don't want to let our guard down because if we let our guard down, then it opens up the opportunity of us being hurt. Yeah. We don't want to be hurt. Well, no, no, it's true. I mean, with substance, you know, you paper cut, you'll jerk your hand back. Yeah. You know, and I think our hearts are like that, too. Um, I don't know. I I guess this just cracks open so much when I listen to what you're talking about, and especially that story you told. I mean, is that the only situation that you've been in where y'all have affected somebody who's been in prison? Or have y'all had multiple situations like that? Um, In prison? Yeah, that's the only story that involves prison. Yeah. What about uh, how often are y'all reached out to by people in this area that are saying, hey, I'm a victim or, hey, I know a victim? Is that pretty on the regular? I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's pretty regular. We get a couple each month. Really? Yeah, and, um, you know, we give, them the, we give them the option. We give them the choice. The one thing that was taken away from them, we know we give them back. Um, they can either volunteer with, my, with the organization, um, you know, on the down low. No one else has to know that they're a survivor but me. Yeah. We have a couple, a couple of those. And then we have others who know I want to share my story from the rooftops. Okay. You know, we connect them with, you know, um the news or whoever it's newspaper um tv stations yeah um you know we get uh, we bring them to our events um when we do awareness events and we we allow we give them the stage we give them the mic yeah how um how much support do you receive from the media in that regard how how willing have they been to allow the victims to share their information or stories i mean they've been pretty supportive Overall, yeah. Overall, um, I've actually made um, my friends in other in other cities um, around the country a little jealous, especially in the beginning. They were like, "How how are you getting so much news coverage?" And like, you know, our people down here are just awesome. Yeah. Well, nobody wants that in their community. No. I mean, not just in your community. I mean, it because it does affect so many things. But we are ripe for it because there all the elements are there. All the 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 telltale signs. Yeah. Um. Is this, I mean, okay, this is maybe a strange question, but is it dangerous what you're doing? Because it is, for the people that are the traffickers, they're not doing it for fun. I mean, it's a um, money-making endeavor and potentially a lot of money. So when you're out there creating awareness or you're contacting victims or victims are in this situation, they're contacting you. I mean, you're sort of like the, you know, a detriment to their profit flow. Is it dangerous in that regard? Or has it been? Yeah, it's dangerous. You know, you have to, I have to be careful. Yeah. Um, I have to watch my P's and Q's, I guess. Yeah. You know, and make sure that I, I take the necessary steps to. I mean, there's 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 plans just in case um stuff happens. There's, Contingencies, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I just I just wondered because I mean it just seems like it could be, you know, because you're talking about a a pretty seedy underworld. I think I'm in the um right position. Um, I don't have I don't have um I'm a single guy, so yeah. you know there's no family. Um. I don't have anyone else that could be put in danger but myself. So right, 
Yeah, and, and it sounds like you've got a pretty good community of support around you too, and y'all probably all have contingencies to some degree, you oh, know, absolutely. things to watch for. Yeah. Yeah. Do y'all have systems like that within your group where it's like, you know, when you go meet with somebody, you always bring somebody with you? Is it kind of that situation? Yeah. Um, we actually, we definitely do not go along. <laughs> right. To anything. So where do you, what do you, where do you see what you're doing going? I mean, what do you, uh, what's your ultimate goal here? I mean, I know ultimately it's the end trafficking. I yeah. mean, and you're doing that in your own capacity, but where would you like to see, see your organization you know move what are some things that you can uh use from the community what would be some ways that the community can help help you grow help get the awareness out there i mean i know one thing you said was having the conversation you know um but of course people have to be educated to have the have have a conversation beyond just going yep sex trafficking you know that's happening and then moving on like what what would help from the community you know, um, I tell people all the time, I was like, just Google human trafficking in your job. Um, human trafficking touches almost every um, job out there, whether it's nursing. Um, if you're in the medical field, sometimes people in the medical field are the only ones who come in contact with the vi- with victims besides buyers and sellers. Yeah. Um, if you're a teacher, you know, you research human trafficking and, you know, students are in schools. Um, sometimes you may be the only ones who see your students. Yeah. Besides the buyers and sellers. Um. And I'm sure you're talking with Carrie. Um, you know, pe- students can still go to schools and while they're being trafficked. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. That was what was very surprising. I mean, some of the stories that she shared were, you know, right here in our community, and mm-hmm. uh, they were people going to high school. You know, and the, and the way that the uh, I guess I don't know what the right word is the spotters or the recruiters or whatever the way they are it's so seductive. I mean, what what is something that people need to watch out for in that regard as far as the seduction of a spotter or recruiter, you know, with a young person? What, what, are, the, what, are, the, what are the typical methods that they suck a, a young person into sex trafficking? You know, I'll, I'll, for parents, parents need to know who the children are talking to online or yeah. through social media. They just, they just do. They need to have their students, their child's um, usernames, and they need to have the child's passwords. They need to have their phones. They need to know who they're texting. Um, we've had many cases to where we'd see that, a parent would hear that, and then they'd check their dogs. We had one case where we did a TV interview, and we said, hey, check your kids' phones. Mom did, found out that her daughter was actually texting a guy from California, and he had it bought her a bus ticket for that very next week to go see her. Wow. So it was just like right at that moment. Yeah. Um, another thing, and going back to young kids, um, you know, I'm not sure if you heard this before, but one in every four teenagers are willing to meet someone offline that they've only met online. That's scary. It is. It's terrifying. Because I, 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 um, I was speaking to um, two young kids the other day in an event, and it's like, um, I'm like, I could be a 12-year-old kid from another race. You would never know on Facebook. Matter of fact, I do have um, a couple of Facebook profiles. For those purposes. Yeah, for yeah. those purposes. But I'm like, if I can do it, anyone else can do it. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that, that's true. I mean, that's really terrifying. When I think about that, you know, I'm 45, like I said, and I didn't grow up in a world where we had online communication. So my youth wasn't spent with that. I mean, that didn't emerge till I was in my twenties, you know, later twenties even. Uh, and then social media didn't emerge till I was in my thirties. Right. So 
that didn't make it doesn't it's not in my awareness to think like that because it seems either this knee-jerk reaction that just kicks in that says oh i'd never do that so why would my kid do that but i forget you know my kids have grown up in this world this is very communicating online is very normal to them they don't have those same apprehensions in place right you have to build that apprehension in i mean they may have general apprehensions but that's not enough. They, they know somebody online that's very normal. They go, oh, I'm getting to know them. I trust them. I believe them. I see a face. I see the telltale signs of a, um, of a story here. You know, this person is a, a living, breathing identity, you know. So, I mean, going back to your question, I encourage parents, um, guardians to just to have that open communication with their children. I encourage them to watch um, their movies, clean movies, safe movies about human trafficking that parents can watch with their children. Um, I'm just educate them. Um, we dealt with one girl who was working at a local restaurant and, you know, um, one of her tables had a trap, had, well, I don't know if he was a trafficker or not, but he was a bad dude. He promised her, um, he promised her fame and fortune, which is all what That's teenagers right. want, right? Yeah, right. Fame, fortune, money. Um, and so he was like, "Hey, he's like, how? He's like, how much are you making here?" And she's like, "You know, minimum wage." He's like, "You're way too pretty to be making that." He's like, "Um, I can't promise you anything, but I'm a professional photographer, modeling photographer." Mm. You know, he's like, "I have contacts with." people at Gap and other these other companies and he's like I have a professional studio set up my house he's like here's my card he's like if you're interested in making more money why don't you come over mm. um let me know you can come over and so unfortunately she she made um well you know teenagers she made a series of dumb and smart decisions um the dumb one was she she went to the guy's house um she did bring friends so that's that's um, something that we tell people. We never go anywhere alone. You know, always bring friends or yeah. whoever. And so she did. Um, unfortunately, the guy convinced her that these companies wanted underwear shots. Uh, yeah. So this was a 16-year-old girl um, taking underwear shots. Um, very inappropriate underwear shots. Um, so bringing her friends along probably saved her that day. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, um, the guy was like, hey, okay, give me your email address. I'll send you a copy of these photos, and I'll let you know, and we, we can um, meet up later uh-huh. at these companies say anything. So um, one, the other thing, smart thing that she did was she gave him her mom's email address as her own. Oh, wow. So I'm uh, surprised she did that, actually. Yeah, me too. Um, so she did that, and then her mom, you know, her mom... Gets all these pictures of her daughter. You know, her did that, daughter ha- did that happen? That's yeah. what happened? That's oh. what happened. And um, her mom came to us and she's like, look, am I just being over checked? I'm like, no. I'm like, and most people don't know this, but no company will ask you to do underwear shots, especially for an underage kid. Oh, underwear no. shots, your first shoot, nuts, none. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. So we connected the mom with the hotline and um, she called him and he actually got law enforcement after the guy. Yeah. But... You know, thank thank God things went right that, you know, for that girl. Yeah, she made a few. I mean, she was um, she made the decision, but then also made a few right decisions. You know, I'm surprised. You know, that story went that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not many kids would do that and go, especially at that age, and go, "Oh, this is my mom's email address," because the shame factor. I mean, people are shamed into silence. Mm -hmm. You know, when things like that happen, you know that they can uh, use those things and hold them over their head. You know. Yeah. 
and, and especially if the photographs would have been more risque yeah right I mean, who's going to do that? Give their mom's email address. And then having friends along, that's interesting, too. So that, that tells you that she was thinking, oh, this is legit. I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably stopped the photographer from, uh, you know, going further. I, there, I've seen that kind of stuff. And I mean, I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush, but I've seen some of that stuff locally with photography. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people put out there that they're a modeling agency and uh and they may be i mean people might be trying to start a legitimate business but when you're i don't know man i'm just being truthful and honest and putting all my cards on the table for me that's just red flags all over the place when you see that kind of thing happening i'm going is this really modeling what is this i mean you start seeing sort of risque photos they're all sexual in nature they're not uh just clothing models and things like that they're all very sexy and it's young women and young girls and I, i don't know i just go there something seedy about it you know for me and that's again my own perception I'm happy. I know You're driving down the road. Everything is going just fine. You're listening to the new episode of Find the Good News in Your Car, and you're all stoked about trying out this zipper merge thing you've been hearing about when all of a sudden you hear that sickening tap on your windshield that's just a little too loud. I've got some bad news for you. You've just got yourself a rock chip. Unfortunately, I've got some worse news. If you don't take care of that rock chip, it's going to turn into a crack. But I do have some good news too. You don't have to have a rock chip or a crack because I've got a way for you to take care of it ASAP. If you go to asapglassco.com right now, you can stop that chip from winding across your windshield like the Calcasieu River. I used to be terrible about getting a rock chip, saying I'll take care of that later, and then later turns into this irritating crack that just spreads from one side of my windshield to the other. I should have taken care of it ASAP by scheduling a repair with ASAP Glass. ASAP Glass is local, right here in Sulphur, Louisiana, and they're mobile. Even better, you can get a quote right from your mobile phone at ASAPGlassCo.com. ASAP Glass is owned and operated by two of my best friends, lifelong friends, Dan and Kayla Smith. Dan the Glass Man will make sure his team of glass technicians gets to your job ASAP and make sure it's done right so you can keep that windshield crack out of sight. If you do get that rock chip and you don't take care of it ASAP, that's okay. ASAP Glass does complete windshield replacements. Remember, ASAP Glass is mobile, so you don't have to worry about finding time to drop your vehicle off at their shop. You get your quote at ASAPGlassCo.com. Make your appointment with Kayla, and then before long, an ASAP Glass van is on its way to your location. That's it. I know you're probably looking at a rock chip right now. Don't wait. Take care of it ASAP. Go to ASAPGlassCo.com on your mobile device and get a quote. That's ASAPGlassCO.com. And make sure to tell Dan and Kayla you heard about ASAP Glass on Find the Good News. And that's what I want to happen. You know, I want people to second guess um, these situations they, they, they come into. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's exactly right. You just don't, you want to create some new awareness. I mean, some new, uh, new pings, I guess, is maybe the right way. Something that's just setting your radar off, you know, and saying, hey, there's just something off about this, you know, and know what the signs are, 
you know or do y'all provide information to people do y'all have literature and things like that that they can get or do y'all direct them to places where they can get that no um we we provide literature we provide literature to medical clinic well to really anybody um medical clinics churches mm-hmm. um teachers just whoever um and if we don't have it we'll create it for yeah. you after if we haven't reached your niche yet do y'all work in partnership with any other organizations you know like the women's shelter and things like that where there's you know uh maybe they've maybe they have somebody approach them because they don't know about y'all and they're like you know what this organization rusty's involved with might be the ones to be dealing with this do y'all have that kind of a network we um yeah we do we have people who are counselors we have people who are um you know saint sexual assault nurse okay great great um we, we we're getting to build a network yeah yeah do y'all hold and I, I know you do but just tell people what kind of events that you hold and what kind of presentations you do you know maybe somebody wants to get you guys to come in and talk to their group yeah so we will do that we'll get someone to come talk to your group um we speak anywhere everywhere um churches um you know we train employees if they can like hurt hotel motel employees because mm-hmm. it does happen in our hotels and motels yeah that seems like it'd be smart to do that for sure and we just want to make these anywhere that we can make um places more dangerous for traffickers yeah you know, and harder for them to do what they do yeah I mean, the I-10 corridor seems to be rampant with that. I mean, it does. I mean, everything that I'm hearing from other people that said, oh, yeah, I mean, it's just a, uh, a throughway for that kind of thing. I mean, you know, because you can get across the country out of, all the way down from Texas all the way across Florida, you know. And yeah. The, and, and the port, port, and there's a port everywhere and an airport all the way along the way. You know, that's one of the reasons that we did um, our crate. Well, every year or every year or two we will do a crazy project or what i like to call it, crazy project and so our last crazy project was we put a billboard on i-10 and okay. it was up for a full year and it just simply said hey human trafficking happens in southwest louisiana yeah and it brought awareness to over seven million people yeah what what kind of response did you get to that billboard did you get any contacts directly from that where they were like oh that came from the billboard somebody saw this and it, it was a you know a direct line to helping somebody Yes, it, uh, we got a lot of results. On one, something really cool that kind of happened was the fact that um, it went up right around the same time that we got an, our new city council and new mayor in. Okay. And so and then and then we had a full page article in one of the newspapers, and so I went to the swearing in of these people and. You know, I, I, I spoke to some of them, introducing myself, and like, oh no, we know who you are. We saw the article and and. Some of them were like, you know, we had no idea that it happens here. Yeah. And I was like, well, you just got elected. You know, be in charge of our city, and like, you should know this. Yeah. You know, um, so that was cool. But we, we did get we, we did get a few phone calls on people reaching out um, who reported human the crime of human trafficking in our city and other cities. Um, we had a few people call in, um, call us, and... We were able to prevent human trafficking from happening. I remember one grandmother, she called in and she's like, hey, look, this and this is happening. Um, my granddaughter, one of the things that was happening was her granddaughter was being, she had a new older boyfriend and he was being, um, he was starting to isolate her from her family and her oh, friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the signs of human trafficking, right? So we were able to guide her in the next steps and talk to her. 
So yeah, we had a couple of really cool things happen. I want to stop there for a minute and talk about that behavior and that, and it may not necessarily be related to just human trafficking, but that's something that in my life, I, I kind of started to see in some people I know where there is a dominant figure that was a, a bit aggressive. And then as time goes on, you begin to see this, you see things change. So like, uh, it's almost like I, and the way I've thought of it is like plucking the petals off of a flower. You know, I love you. I love you. You love me. Yeah. You love me not. And I was like, that's what this individual has sort of kind of done is the family is this flower. And then as time has went by one by one, you know, now daddy isn't has been made into an enemy you know and that pedal gets plucked off and you know now brother's an enemy okay pluck, pluck that pedal off and then now um the neighbor is an enemy and this neighbor's an enemy and this friend's an enemy and this church is an enemy and this group is an enemy and before long now this this little group here they're completely shut off from everybody that supposedly cares and somehow everybody who cares has been made into sort of uh, the bad guys yeah and i didn't really wasn't aware it took it took it went over on for over a period of time it's not a human trafficking situation but it is an isolation situation it's a control situation and i think it's it's disturbing behavior when you start to see that and once you see that pattern it's hard to unsee it and you go oh this is that definitely a pattern of behavior this is uh, it's almost like cult-like, yeah. And it's 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 strange that that can happen um, in families too, you know, and even in, in abusive situations in families, sex abuse or otherwise. I mean, mm-hmm. any kind. You can see where there is one figure that's isolating everybody, you know, and and there's no, and then the people within that unit or community or family or whatever, they don't have any. All the communication is sort of controlled by this individual. Right. And so that person has no way to know. They don't have any hope anymore. They think it's normal. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that happens to people who are sucked into sex work or sex trafficking or any kind of abuse like that. Right. I mean, they get they, they control the world. What you described about that individual isolating that girl, that's that's frightening because it happens over a period of time and they don't even realize it's happening. No. You know? something Carrie talked about with her program and I think it's one of the something that just disturbs me I don't know why but it disturbed me greatly was these young couples in relationships um, where let's say the boy will tell the girl well you need to put my thumbprint on your iPhone I want to be able to get in your phone you can't have your phone locked I mean immediately when I hear that I go hit the road that's that's not a good begets a not a good relationship that is not okay no and if there's any teens out there that that's happening with i mean yet you're talking about the beginning of the pattern of that behavior of control yeah you know i mean the sex trap i'm sure with sex trafficking though they have no communication with the outside world right i mean it's all controlled by the trafficker yeah yeah is that what you've seen i mean in your experience that most of the people you've been in communication with that they've pretty much don't know what's going on out in the world i mean it's is it is that is that what it's like? They've been conditioned to think that what they're going through is normal. Normal. So even if they do have, even if they still do have contacts in the outside world, even if they do still have a place in the outside world, they just don't. They don't think. They don't second guess it. They just think, okay, well, this part of my life is normal. Yeah. You know, this abuse, this trafficking, whatever. You know, it's. Or, 
um, traffickers will either teach them that or they'll, um, I mean, they'll find a way to, for you not to tell, for you not to tell on them, whether it's either that or, it's, you know, so we've had instances where we've had um, traffickers tell mom, hey, it's you or it's your five-year-old daughter. Which one? Oh, so it's like a threat, a family yeah, yeah, threat. They yeah. hold that, uh, hurting somebody else. Yeah, yeah. That seemed that that, that reminds me of the story for, the, that Carrie shared with uh, through Truth, Facts, and Lies. Was that it was like you know, here's pictures of your mama, your brother, your daddy, your sister, you know, and these people are all in danger if you don't keep doing what we tell you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also making them fear uh, law enforcement. Is that a tactic? Yeah, absolutely. So there's been cases. Well, I don't, I don't know of cases locally, but I know um, there has been cases where traffickers will have their friends dress up as law enforcement and then go in and abuse um, girls and uh, boys and teach them not to um, trust law enforcement. Right. Yeah, that's that's probably worse. I mean, because then you have no advocate. I mean, something that should be a sign of hope becomes something to fear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know I strayed away from the original cause of, of what got you into that, but I mean, it's really interesting to me to hear, and it's educational. I mean, I I, may, I realize I really need to have more awareness too. I mean, just being aware is not enough. I need to know what the signs are. You know, I mean, because when we encounter people out in the world, you need to be looking. You know, really do. You need to be looking, and you know, I've had a couple of I had I've had a couple of good friends who have, you know, um. I've kind of had to twist their arm maybe a little bit into taking the National Human Trafficking Hotline and putting it in their phone. And then they end up using it. Yeah. To report crimes. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I think that there's that... Again, that gets into that idea, you know, It's be- and I hate it because it's become a dirty word. People have made it a dirty word. Like, it's something to... Uh, make fun of people with and it's calling somebody a social justice warrior and you hear it a lot I mean in our world used in a negative way it's like and then they go oh you're SJW or oh you're a social justice warrior and they and you can toss somebody aside and it just sort of this can you throw them in and when I really think of the words social justice warrior I think of it and I go don't we need people to be these social justice warriors I mean in a way, that's what you are. I mean, you're you're saying this is a social justice situation. Yeah, it is. And, you know, if you go back and study history, you know, um, some of the world changers in the, of our past, you know, weren't liked at all. No, that's they right. In their own time, they, they were hated. Right. You know, we sure we sure we um, we have statues for them now, but. And when they're alive, they were hated. Oh, yeah, right. I think that, that you just nailed it. I've said those very words to people. It's like, it's funny how we will erect a monument to somebody and we go, oh, they were a great figure. And then all of a sudden we're writing books about them. But in the time that they were actually doing the thing that we were celebrating now, they were despised and reviled. And the governments or the law enforcement in that community or country or wherever it may be were totally against them. You know, the law was not on their side. There was no advocate for them. They had to become the the rage against the machine, so to speak. I mean, that's what they were. They were breaking that pattern, breaking the wheel, you know, drawing drawing attention to a cause. And, and sometimes to do that, you have to be um, loud and it's not so pretty, you know? You know, you, we, we have to draw attention to the oppressed, whatever it takes. Yeah. Whether it's loud and, you know... 
I don't know. It's, it's funny. I hated history in um, high school. Yeah. But going back and studying it, and especially um, studying um, abolition of old, you know, they used some pretty crazy things to get people's attention. I remember one guy. He had um, I can't remember what his name was, but he would go on. He had he would have a Bible, and he'd have a um. A package of a, a bag of blood in that Bible, and he'd stab it, and blood, just, and it was just something that he would, yeah, he would use, you know, and it, people would call him crazy and outrageous, but you know, he got people's attention. Yeah, and no, I, I get it. I was I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was um, with a a Zen buddhist roshi and i can't remember her name now i'd have to look it up but she was telling a story they were discussing the the self-immolation of the buddhist monks in vietnam you know they would light themselves on fire to draw attention because no the world wasn't watching mm-hmm. you know they didn't realize that the war was a horror show and there was suffering like real suffering it wasn't paying attention and you know they did these self-immolation acts which you know would be considered suicide mm-hmm. right but they would go douse themselves in gasoline sit down in a meditative or prayer posture and then light themselves on fire and then the world would watch you know and there's two minds about that that well that's terrible Right, they shouldn't do that. That's that's suicide. That's that's horrible. And she she made that point. She said, you know, people could take the wrong message from that. She said, but everything that I've done in my life, I mean, she's an older woman now, you know, and she's an activist, mm-hmm. you know, and she's again talking about oppression and suffering. That's all she works against in a lot of different capacities. She said that was the very thing that made me look. And she said, so I and I know hundreds of people in working in the world in different capacities to stop suffering and oppression, that that was also what made them look. She said, so on the one hand, you can say that's horrible. And on the other hand, you can see how it branched out and created social activists. They're actually engaging the world, trying to bring awareness and alleviate suffering. She said, so it's hard. You know, it's a. It's a difficult thing, but we don't want to look at ugly things. We want to look at that burning man and say, oh, that's horrible. That's ugly. And not see the echo that came from it. You know, he didn't go, he didn't sit down to go, oh, I'm going to do this horrible thing. In his mind, it was, I'm going to give my life to draw attention to something. So it's interesting. I don't know. It's a very extreme example, but the extreme Sometimes is all that's the only way to get the attention. Sometimes, you know, yeah. and sadly, I mean, sadly, that's true. Um, I mean, I've seen it in my work. Sadly, it's true. You had to do, you have to do some pretty extreme stuff to get people's attention. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it is hard when you're fighting for a little airtime amongst an indefinite, indeterminable number of messages. Mm-hmm. I mean. The world were inundated with it. I mean, everywhere you look, there's another message. There's another thing to listen to. There's another voice. There's another cause. You know, I mean, it, it kind of is like the colored ribbons thing. I mean, how many colors are there now? Because, you know, ever there's a ribbon for everything. There's always some suffering that needs to be dealt with. And people can be inundated with it. Like, I just don't know where to look anymore. You know, I don't know which message I need to hear. And, you know, I would love it if people would look at your message and they can take action. But more than anything that we talked about, I think it's just learning how to care again. Right. I mean, to me, 
sex trafficking, you can draw it. You can draw a line all the way back to just learning to care about other people again and see other people. And that story you shared about the woman in prison, I mean, what more than anything mattered to her is to be seen, you know, and to be loved. I mean, you like you said, she could have stayed in prison, but you at least taught her that she was seen and loved. I mean, you begin right there, right? Yeah, you begin right there. I mean, it doesn't, anybody can do it. Yeah. You know, just listen. You know, just listen to um, people who, who have hurts, who have pains. Um, not a lot of times they don't even have that. Just listen, you know, don't question, just believe. Yeah. This really moves you when you talk about this particular issue, huh? When you talk about that. I mean, I've watched, I mean, people listening can't see, but I can feel it when you talk about that, that that particular thing really cracks open your heart. That idea of people not being seen and not being heard and not being listened to. Why? What is it about that particularly that moves you so much? I just, I just see the fact that, you know, each and every one of us has so much God-given potential and so much God-given power to change the world. And we think that, I don't know, we think that we over, we overanalyze it, you know, we, we make it too difficult, but it doesn't take much, a lot of, a lot of times, people just want to be seen. People just want to be heard, and it, it's a really simple thing to do. Um, you know, they want to, they want to feel valued. You know, whether it's talking about human trafficking or whether it's talking about you know our homeless community. You know, it's it's looking the oppressed in the eyes and saying, "I see you. Mm. I see you as a person. I see you as a fellow image bearer of God." You know. Um, I think that I guess it's it's true for human trafficking too, but you know we look for our value in so many other things. But I don't know. We just I I gotta tell you I I think and I know I said it earlier, but when I'm listening to you and watching you say these words, I I get what you're talking about. People want to be seen. It, it's something to do with reminding people they're not alone because i mean we can feel very alone out here i mean we got this big universe and and we talk about this at home a lot if you if i scattered the stars in front of you and you could actually see them all you couldn't even point to where we're at you wouldn't even know where we're at we're just lost in a sea of stardust yeah you know and and that can feel very large and very alone and i think a lot of ways that's a good Uh, image of the way we feel sometimes is that I'm just lost in a sea of stardust. I mean, I'm alone. I'm in the dark. I'm just floating around here. Nobody cares. Nobody listens. Nobody sees me. What's the point? And I think that's where a lot of depression can begin. I mean, it's the seeds of depression is that isolation goes back to what the trafficker does, isolates people, you know, takes them away from, from being seen and heard and loved. And it's like the ultimate poverty. That's the poverty. And what you're talking about is that even in that sea of stardust, you know, lights uncountable, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there is our star 
and somewhere around that star is our planet and on that planet even you know smaller than that is you yeah you know and you are seen i think to me that is the beauty of the creator that, that's where I see the beauty of the creator is that reverse view is like even down within this hard, hardly discernible speck. Every heart is a light and every one of them seen. And what you're saying is that we can do that, too. Right. We can we can be vehicles for that. You know, we can be the eyes of the creator, like on the ground, on the speck, you know, and don't have to take the broad view. We can like particularly go love a person, see a person, listen to a person, let them know that they matter. Yeah, exactly. We, we all want to feel like um, we matter. And I mean, that's, you know, I've struggled with depression. And one of the things that, you know, it makes you it makes you um, believe the lie that, you know, things that you do don't matter or your life doesn't matter. Um, but it does. It does matter. Things we do do matter. Mm. We do matter to other people. Yeah. And we, sh- we should. Um, yeah. No, it's hard. I mean, our family has dealt with um, that depression. I've dealt with depression. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've i told that story lightly on this show before that that was actually what I didn't know it was depression at the time. I mean, I was in my 20s, but I think it was that very depression was where I discovered um, that I was loved because I got to the bottom. I didn't know that I was in what I was in the bottom of mm-hmm. and somewhere in the bottom, in the dark in tears not heard not seen isolated and alone something emerged that told me in in whatever way that whatever take that however it means however you want to take it that i was loved and that i had value and that i mattered and that was the beginning of crawling out of that hole and i've wanted people ever since then to feel that same thing you know, it's kind of goes back to what I said. I wanna, I want people to know that that you in in whatever you are, however you are, whatever you look like, however you were born, whatever lucky or unlucky hand you've been dealt, your value is exactly the same as as the others, as everybody else. Exactly, and you know, um. You go back and you you study these these heroes in history, and you know you and I are in good company because they've dealt with depression. I mean, you go back and read some of these books by Mother Teresa. Oh yeah, she felt completely alone, like God had abandoned her. Exactly. Yeah, and look what she did. That I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? It is. Mother Teresa. I mean, we look at her and what she did. She did exactly what you're talking about. She looked deep at this human suffering and she just entered right into it and but even during all of that she felt alone like god didn't see her you know and she still yet she believed and walked forward and did the work you know and so she had to be the light for other people i mean it's a beautiful thing and not just her you know there's there's biblical there's um biblical heroes um who they you know they he read scripture and like they they they're asking God kill me now mm. I I give I'm tired just in my life please yeah you know Elijah I'm a couple other ones but you know and I've, I've met some of the I guess heroes and I'm in in my cause and one thing I learned is up up to a point we're just all trying to do the best we can. Mm. 
with the knowledge that we have. Yeah. You know, we don't have all, even them, even some of the, even some of my, um, uh, my heroes, um, you know, they don't have every answer. They don't have all the answers. They're just trying to do the best they have, best they can with what they have. Mm-hmm. You know, including Mother Teresa. You know, she she just did the best she could, what she had. And I think, I mean, I think that sums it up. You know, you just whatever wherever you're at, whatever you have, just do the best you can. Yeah, wherever whatever your lot. Yeah, yeah. And and, and it's like you said, you can still and and even if you feel like you don't have anything. Do you have the capacity to care, you know, and do you have the capacity to love? And if you don't feel like you have the capacity, do you have the capacity to try? Because I think you have to try. You know, I think it does take an effort. I I find, um, for the most part, loving people and feeling compassion for people is fairly easy. I mean, I think for the most part. But there are situations that arise, and even though I take a take that as a call to really try to cultivate that in myself and in others, I fail. Mm-hmm. You know, I succumb to um, <laughs> the wiles of the world. Yeah. You know, I, I'm seduced into taking another worldview and, and not, I use the word demonizing. I don't literally mean it that way, but like demonizing and someone and making them an enemy and saying, Oh, they're the other. I, do, I don't want them in my life. Or I, I value myself. I do it often value myself more than I value somebody else. Um, doesn't, it doesn't mean that I don't wish I wasn't that way and that I don't think it's worth the effort, but I do think you have to put the work in. I mean, it's like a muscle. You know, it is there, but you have to work at it. I really believe that. Yeah, um, me too. Um, you know, I, I I struggle with certain things. Um, you know, um, think people, certain people, or I don't want to call them enemies, but you know, people who may not see the world as I do, or people who come maybe come up against me. Um, you know, well, sometimes I'll think, sometimes I'll catch myself, you know, and I'm like. Well, no, they'll never change. They're always going to be like this. Yeah. You know, and I have to catch myself. I'm like, you know. Yeah, no, I the same thing. They're made in God's image, too, you know. Yeah. And it's God hard can, to remember. Yeah, it is. You know, if God can do anything, then I have to know. I have to remember that, you know, he can change them. Yeah. And there's the what ifs and the what, oh, yeah, buts out there in the world, too. You know, because for any example, you know, any example that you and I could give on the show of the value of being that way, someone can come in and dispute it and say, well, yeah, but what about this? Or what about this action? Is this forgivable? Is this, you know, and I, I've thought about that a lot and I do have to validate that there are times where, you know, humans are going to do things that you, that are just very hard to forgive and unforgivable. But I always have to back that up and say, that's on a human they're unforgivable on a human standard, right? Yeah. But there is another standard that I have, I can't fully comprehend that I can touch sometimes, but I still can't. I don't see the full scope of it. And that's that um, sacred dimension, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, where I in that to me in that sacred dimension, the forgiveness is there. Right. The forgiveness that I withhold, Mm -hmm. that I can't give, you know, um, someone doesn't make does an atrocious crime. 
just something horrible. I can't, I don't even, can't even want to verbalize it, but just imagine the worst thing that could happen to you that would make you hate another or want to hurt another person or want revenge even um, and justice. And I'm using quotey fingers on the, around the word justice because I go, well, that's all very human. But outside of that dimension, there is another dimension where those things aren't that way. And that's where that sacred forgiveness is. And I just wish that we could, we, you know, we want to be in that dimension. I want to be there. But, you know, we're people, you know, and so it's hard. You know, I think it, it, it does take work. I don't know. It takes effort. And sometimes it can even be a bit exhausting. You ever feel depleted from those efforts? I mean, that's a real question. I mean, is it hard sometimes to just look at what you look at in, in this with this organization every day and just go, man, it's just so hard, sometimes so dark? Yeah, um, it, it absolutely is. You know, and, and it's work to, it's a lot of work to separate myself from this work, um, mm. to, from what I do. Um yeah. And sometimes, you know, going back, sometimes, you know, the enemy, um, sometimes I let him in too much. Sometimes, you know, I, I, he'll start saying, I'll, you know, that, you know, we're not making a difference. Or mm. The noonday devil yeah. is what they say. Yeah. yeah. I've been there. I've, I've actually completely been defeated by that before. I can promise you. I... I know of one particular endeavor that I was a part of that I um, let that completely shut it down. And it was that same thing. You know, it was uh, not apathy. It was doubt and despair, really, I guess would probably be the right word. Not despair in the sense of all hope is lost despair, but just a, is these is this the energy I'm putting into this doing am i making a difference and i think that's human that's my human mind trying to quantify something and go well i it'll be i'll have made a difference if this 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 and this happens i wanted to see it mm-hmm. what's sad is whenever now someone will message me and uh, it's one person you know it's just one person they say you know as i still think about this and it changed my life and if it wouldn't have been for this one day, um, everything shifted. And it's something from a year ago that I, I didn't know, right? I, as a human, wanted to see the fruit. Yeah. And I didn't know that what that one thing that we were doing was doing, you know, maybe 30 people involved, but one person particularly. And, of course, me as a human, I'm trying to quantify it. It's that bean counter and saying, well, out here in the world, I want to see the fruit. And so I give up. The noonday devil takes hold, you know, and then I quit this thing. And I don't realize that I just couldn't see it. I didn't know what God's work really was. Right. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? It does. And, you know, it's hard doing that with an organization because, you know, you have all these people who, I don't know, you you feel the weight of it all. And you feel like, okay, well, I have to show my work. Right. Right. We have to. But one of the things that we do is we, you know, going back is we do awareness. And I can't show you the kids who don't get trafficked. I can't show you the people who don't right. call trafficking. I just, you know, we can. I can show you how many people or how many survivors we talked to that month or that week. But I can't show you the people who we st- we saved from um, ever falling into trafficking to yeah. begin with. 
Right, right, right. And so, you know, it's hard. So it's hard to show people, I guess, our prevention, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. It's interesting because it reminds me of something we were watching on a show last night. And they were, uh, I'm going to draw a line to physics and biology here, but we were watching this show where it's a documentary where uh, scientists in different disciplines, the documentary would start with one. Mm -hmm. And then they would take that one and they would go meet with a scientist in a different discipline. And then that one that they met with would go meet with another. It was just showing how different disciplines could relate to each other. But one of the things that she was saying when she was talking about the kaleidoscope of life in microbiology, and she said, you know, from my in a microbiological sense, all life has a common ancestor. And the guy and the other scientist said, oh, that's interesting. So that's how that's she said, well, that's what all the evidence points to. She said, but we there could be another ancestor in the mix, but we can't know that. She said, because we don't know what to look for because we're all we know is the life we know. And I thought that was a very fascinating point. I kind of my mind lingered on that for a while. I was like, that's interesting. You can't identify something that you don't know. And that's kind of what. And I guess it reminds me of what you're saying is like, I can show you all of this because I have this data, but I can't show you the thing I don't, I can't show you the other thing. Yeah. It doesn't, it is no way, there's no data on that. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think you're doing good work though, man. I really do. I, uh, I mean, immediately when I saw, I don't know how I came across your information, to be honest with you. But then once I started putting some fishers out there and uh, some lures out there and people were contacting me back and, and giving me information about it, I said, wow, this is really good. They're doing some really good work in the community. And, you know, again, I, my only awareness was from what Carrie was doing with her program and mm-hmm. the teenagers. I didn't realize that there was actually a group here locally who was making making waves with that. Man, um, yeah, we're, we're trying. Yeah, we're doing some great work. Um, thanks to the support community, but there's definitely more to definitely more to do. And I'm happy. I know it. This episode's fishing for goodies fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing 
list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. So, uh, we have this part of the show called Fishing for Goodies. I don't know if you've listened to any of the episodes here. Uh, but what we do is we have this fishbowl here and it's got questions in there that I've put in and then that some of the other guests have put in and then a few other things that people that listen to the show put in. I don't really know what they all are, but what we do with each guest is you reach in and you draw three questions and then we have a discussion about those three questions. Okay. So you dive right in. <laughs> now that's a what if or who would you rather? That's going to be interesting. Nobody's drawn one of those yet. <laughs> Let's see. Would you rather, would you rather play a board game or play a video game? Hmm. Okay. Um. I think I'd rather play a board game. Me too. Why is that? Because you need more people to play a board game. You know, yeah. video games you could do one on one, but I like I'll, I like community. I like yeah. hanging out with friends. That's interesting. I actually had read that question, and I thought, you know, someone might listen to this show and go. That's what kind of question is that, considering the scope of the conversation. But you actually, when I read that question, I thought, you know, that's a good question because it does reveal something. And it revealed exactly what I figured it would. I agree. I would much rather play a board game because of the dialogue that ensues. Yeah. I enjoy the laughter. You know, I like the 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 tongue-in-cheek competition of a board game, you know, the fun. I mean, when we play, we don't play a lot of board games. We play a lot of card games, and we like Uno and Go Fish and just different things like that with the kids. And uh, we always have a good time, man. We'll, we'll say one more game, and then we'll play another round of Uno, and we'll play one more game. And we, we laugh, and we cut up, and it's just a good time to bring everybody together. You know, and, I, and personally, I don't have any <laughs> I don't have any jokes or any stories about any times where I played a video game one on one, but I mean yeah. I have stories where I was with groups of friends and you know, either we messed up or something funny happened. Yeah, no, you're right. I hear a lot of things with people, especially now. Video games are, you know, they you could say they're community because you can communicate with people all around the world. But what I hear more than anything coming out of that is there's a lot of. Well, it cultivates abuse almost. I mean, it cultivates a keyboard courage kind of mentality. It's like, well, I can be mean, and there's this protective gel between me and these other people. You can just it, it sort of teaches us to say snarky things. Whereas a board game, you're sitting face to face, you're communicating with people. It's a little harder to uh, to go into that territory. It's just a healthier way to to play. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's a good question, actually. Yeah, good answer, too. All right, question number two. Okay. Would you rather go back in time and meet your ancestors or go to the future and meet your great-grandchildren? Oh, man. Damn, my zone here. It's one of my favorite topics is time travel, man. 
I am very curious to hear your answer on this one and why. I would rather go to the future and meet my great-grandchildren. Really? Why is that? So people you don't know, you'd rather see... I'd like to go... I would like to see the progress that we've made. Ah, yeah. Yeah, see where we ended up. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. I think, for me, I probably would say the opposite. Okay. I mean, I still think that's very... That's that's a good point. Mm -hmm. I think, for me, um, going back... And, and seeing my ancestors, I don't know if I would actually want to interact with them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, getting into the whole uh, time travel thing, you know, you don't want to mess things up. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think, uh, I think I'd like to just observe and just see what their lives were like and just watch. Because I think it would reveal a lot. You know, I have mm-hmm. questions. I think for me, that's uh, probably would be where I would go but I can see why going to the future yeah you could just observe and see like how did things play out what pro especially with your group and organization you'd be able to see like the world not just your ancestors your your future ancestors but also what the world has turned out like have we made progress yeah I think I mean that's definitely something I'd be interested in seeing yeah really cool yeah <laughs> Number three. Who would you love to collaborate with, and what would you collaborate on? Wow. Um. (laughs) That's a that's a tough one for me. Is it? Yeah. Tough and it's hard to think of, or tough and that it's like uh, emotional or something like that. No, I think it's. I mean, there's a there's too many possibilities. Too many possibilities. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, are there people that you admire that you'll admire the work they're doing, and you go, "Boy, I'd love to. Uh, I'd like to be involved with what they're doing." Um. It's a hard question because I think that we're already, like, we're already reaching out to those people. Ah. Uh, you know, especially locally. Um, yeah. That's, a, that's an authentic answer, though. I mean, what you're saying is that you don't have, like, a pie-in-the-sky wish, right? I mean, you could say, well, look, I mean, we actually are working with good people. And I'm comfortable in what we're doing, you know? Um, yeah. I, I don't have a... Um, you know, I, I again, I volunteer with some great international organizations, but, you know, they're doing their thing. We're doing our thing. Yeah. You know, we, we have our own lanes and. Yeah. I mean, that's not a that's not a bad answer. I mean, there's no really wrong answer to a question like that, you know, and it's not something that's easy to answer. I don't even know what I would say in that regard as far as collaborating with. I mean, I feel like uh, I do get to uh, same with same as what. You're saying, I mean, in a way, the show was an effort for that, to meet new people, 
and that are doing good things in the community. So in a way, I do get to, to in some regard, I feel like I am collaborating with people. But it's a broad scope of people. It's not just one person. There's not like some guests that I'm like, oh, I got to if I get this person, then I've made it. You know, we're going to do something special. Everybody's special. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, I, that's the way I feel. I think, you know, um, I definitely don't have all the answers. And I love to we try to collaborate with anyone, with yeah. everyone. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful answer. It really is. I do have one more question, though. It's okay. not in the fishbowl. It's see that yellow coffee mug right there? Yes. That's yours, by the way. Oh, awesome. There's a question on the back of that mug. And it's. I'll tell you, that question came from, um, for years, I would go home and ask my children, how was your day? And uh, that would crack open potentially... The knee-jerk reaction to say, oh, this happened today, and then this kid in class was this way, and then this bad thing happened. They didn't mean to do that, but there's this reaction to do that. Nobody tells you, man, it was a wonderful day. I started noticing it wasn't the first thing we would do. So I thought, what if I just changed that question just a little bit and say, did anything good happen today? And it forced them to dig through maybe their day and then find the little lights and go oh well this happened and then this happened and i noticed that we had a brighter conversation so i was like you know i think that's the whole point of this show is to have a more elevated brighter conversation if we have to go to some dark places that's okay because there's something good on the other side so that's why i like to ask you guys that well um as mentioned earlier, I am from Lake Charles, yeah. so <laughs> I didn't get caught up in traffic that's and coming good. over here, so I think that's really good. Yeah. Another thing is just being on this podcast and getting to meet you in person. I think um, that was definitely something I wanted wanting to do for a while since you know we connected online. Yeah, so. we did, man. I got to tell you, we I've enjoyed some of the things that we've been involved with together online, the conversations. Yeah. I there's another guest that you and you and uh, he and I were in a conversation a few weeks ago with another gentleman. Uh, regarding immigration, mm-hmm. you know, and it was really nice. I got to say, not that I'm a big believer in just getting in an echo chamber and having your own views supported, but that wasn't really what I saw happening. What I saw was three men um, go to the defense of sort of the oppressed and verbally, mind you, but it was nice. You know, it was nice to see that being men with compassionate hearts was uh, there. You didn't have to be the Lone Ranger. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? It's nice sometimes to see that happen. That's very nice, yeah. You know, because sometimes it can go the opposite way. And it was just, I don't know, it was refreshing. I was like, hey, there, there are good men out there who will put compassion in front of even their own beliefs necessarily you know and, and or what this what the culture tells you you should think well i mean one of the, one of my favorite thing favorite things that my um pastor says is you know god puts people above anything else hmm. for, above rules above laws above anything else and i think everything boils down to that hmm. yeah i think you're right that's a good that's a good landing point for uh this conversation so how do people find you and get involved with your organization like you know social media website links email what's what's the best 
thing people can do if they want to contact you to help you in your endeavors? Sure. So we're on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. You can look us up at um, SWLA Abolitionists. We also have a website, SWLAAbolitionist.com. Okay. And just look us up. Um, research information and feel free to contact us we want we want everyone to be involved there's something for everyone to do yeah and especially the number one thing first and foremost awareness and start having the conversation yeah start having the conversations absolutely yeah we can't um something i said from the beginning i can't end human trafficking by myself and neither can my group it's going to take all of us yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that's anything in this life. It's going to take us all together. No man's an island. We can't do it alone. That's I right. think we should do every. We should be working together. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for coming, man. Thanks for having me. I love you just as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Find the Good News. If you would like to advertise on this show or sponsor an episode, just visit findthegood.news. Send me a message and we'll see about getting your business, organization, service, product, or event on the show. I deeply thank each of you again for supporting this podcast.